0: So, one thing I've learned around Christmas time, maybe you've ran into this too, that you can learn a lot about what someone thinks about you by what they get you for Christmas. And uh, I, a few years back, I got my wife tickets to the Broadway musical Wicked um, because I think the world of her. And I knew she would absolutely love it, and she did absolutely love it. And then on the other hand, a few Christmas, back, uh, Christmas years ago, I got from an extended family member for Christmas a set of oven mitts and a teacup. And <laughs> we, me and my wife checked the label multiple times ago, so it was the right name on the right box, okay. And uh, I was like, man, they think a lot differently about me than I think of me. Um, and I, I remember thinking like, did they confuse, like, a white Christmas with, like, a white elephant gift exchange? Like, what happened? But I just remember thinking, like, out loud to my wife, like, what is it do they think about me? And I was wondering, like, how many times have you wondered the answer to this question? What do they think about me? What does he or what does she think about me? Or maybe it's like, what does he or she really think about me? Like, do they like me or do they like me like me? Uh, We can all spend a lot of time thinking about um, what others think about us. It could be a coworker or a neighbor or people at your church, um, kids at your school. And even those of you that are sitting here or watching online going, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Here's what I would suggest. How come every now and then you have to let us know that you don't care what we think about you. It's almost as if you care that we know that you don't care what we think about you, okay? So I'm just saying. So I think to some degree, we all kind of wonder what other people think about us, and I don't think that's limited to how we view and think about one another, but I think for billions of people all around the world from the beginning of time, they've wondered what this one person thinks about them. Namely, God, that people have thought this thought, what does God, or for for many around the world, what do the gods think about me? Or to ask it in a different way that maybe you've never really thought of it or asked it in this way, what does God think about when he's thinking about me? What's on his mind when I am on his mind? Now, I think if you polled people and you asked if you asked everyone, give us your opinion on religion or faith or God, I think everybody would have a thought to share. (laughs) I think everybody would have an opinion to to pass along. But I don't know that so many people have as much confidence in what God's thoughts are towards them. They have lots of thoughts about God or faith religion, but they may not necessarily know with certainty or with great confidence what. God's thoughts are toward them. And that even applies to religious, Christian, church-going people like me and maybe even like you. And I think uh, one of the problems humanity has faced uh, from time to time, from the very beginning of time, is that we can tend to lean towards thinking too highly of ourselves on one end or too lowly of ourselves on the other the other end. And the apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus, when writing a letter to some Christians that lived in the city of Rome, here's what he'd said to them in Romans chapter 12. He said, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. And I think he's wanting, Adam, like be honest and don't think too high, don't think low. But being honest in our evaluation of ourselves can honestly Be hard, because sometimes our minds and our hearts are filled with pride, filled with ego, filled with insecurity, filled with jealousy, filled with lust, filled with anger. So all that stuff gets mixed into how we think of ourselves. So you've probably uh, experienced this. Some people think more highly of themselves. Some people think more lowly of themselves. Some people think they're better than others. Some people think they're less than others. Some people kind of think they're more worthy than others and less or maybe less worthy. Some are, we can either feel like we're, uh, people can end up being self-righteous or feel like they're very unrighteous. And what we'll sometimes do and how this can complicate um, our ability to understand God's thoughts towards us is that sometimes what we can do is the thoughts that we have about ourselves, we can project those thoughts onto God. So we, it can kind of just go like this. Here's how I think and feel about myself in this moment. I am sure God is probably thinking and feeling about me exactly that same way. So we take our thoughts and feelings, good or bad or ugly, we can sometimes project them onto God, and especially when uh, we're doing really, really good or really, really bad. If we're feeling really, really bad, we can be like, oh, God knows I'm bad. He probably doesn't, I can't even go to church. And if we're feeling like, I'm really good. God probably thinks I'm really good too, and, and He probably loves me the most, right? And, and so we can project those things onto God, and I remember doing this, um, you know, I've done this many times throughout my life, but in particular, my season of young adult years, uh, in, as, when I was a young adult, I firmly, firmly believed that I was not desirable as an employee, I was not desirable as a future spouse. I was not desirable as a follower of God, that God wouldn't want me on his team. If he was picking teams, he wouldn't pick me. No girl was going to pick me. No employer was going to pick me. I had just a tad bit of low self-esteem, which public junior and high school can do that to a person. <laughs> it can just lower the you know, security ratio quotient that everybody has, and that happened to me. And so I began to project these thoughts and feelings I had about me onto God, and I felt like, you know what, I don't have a plan and a future for my life, and I'm pretty confident God probably doesn't have that for me either. So it was a time of great despair and hopelessness for me. Because I just didn't see myself the way God saw me. I didn't think of myself in the same way that I would discover later how God thought about me. That there was a God who had a plan for me and it was good. And he had a hope for me when I didn't have a hope for me. And he had purpose for me when I didn't feel like there was any purpose for me. So I've just discovered in my own journey, that my thoughts towards me are not always God's thoughts towards me. So here's just one reason why the Christmas season is so incredibly important for everyone, because Christmas is the yearly reminder of what God thinks about us. Christmas is the yearly reminder of how God feels about us. And if you're not a church-going person, maybe you're online watching or you're here right now in person and you're you're not sure about God or faith or Jesus like this, I'm so glad you're here. And I I hope this morning can be incredibly encouraging for you because I know the Christmas season means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but for the Christian, and I think even for God, this is his chance to remind us of how he thinks about us and how he feels About us, that Christmas is this yearly reminder. And in the Christmas story, Jesus becomes like the great revealer. Like he reveals, I mean, God's thoughts, the Heavenly Father's thoughts. Because how do you know someone's thoughts? It can be hard to know even my wife's thoughts at times. And sometimes that can lead to some conflict when we can't read each other's minds. You've maybe experienced that before with someone in your family. So, Christmas is like God going, I'm going to take my thoughts, and I'm going to express them through my son, because I want everyone on earth to know how I think about them and how I feel about them. So God knows that we just needed Christmas desperately, because God just knew that we didn't know. And God just understood that we just couldn't understand, that we couldn't get it, that none of us fully can comprehend all that God thinks about them, that none of us fully understands what God is thinking about when he's thinking about you and me. And so just one example of this is God spoke these words I'm about to read to a man who actually knew Him very well. He was actually close with God, knew God and loved God and followed God. And here's some words God shared with him that are quite revealing and probably not all that surprising to anybody in the room. Here's what it says in Isaiah 55. My thoughts, nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. (laughs) Oh, but if they only were, right? Then I could always get my way. He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, Adam. And Adam, my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. And I have experienced that, where I'm just like, man, if I was calling the shots, things would be different for me. He's like, Adam, you just don't think like I do. He doesn't hold it against us. He understands he's God and I'm not. And that's kind of a bummer sometimes when his thoughts and his ways aren't my thoughts and my ways. But there is some good news because though most people, including myself, don't truly always know all the time exactly God's thoughts towards them, or you do know, but you need a reminder, or you kind of do know, but you just forget, especially in tough, challenging seasons. Some people forget about God when seasons are going really well. It's both ends. Things are going well, who needs God? (laughs) Things are going bad, I don't even want anything to do with God, right? So either end sometimes, we can end up just forgetting. But God did do something to help us know what his thoughts are towards us. And actually, it's not just something. He did some things. He did many things. So if, if you've read the Bible, you know, even the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament, and the Old Testament it starts in Genesis with creation and goes on the end to Malachi, depending on how your Bible orders it. So in the Old Testament, uh, one of the things God was doing, he would send people a prophet, men and women like uh, Abraham and Moses and Deborah and Isaiah, who we just read uh, from his book, he would send all these people to speak on God's behalf so people would know what was on God's heart and what was on God's mind because until then, people just didn't know. They wondered I wonder, I mean, literally, forever, year after year after year after year, people wondered, what does God think about me? What does God think about us? Does He love us? Does He even like us? What can we do to make Him like us? Let's kill some animals. Let's sacrifice some things. Let's build some huge things on top of huge mountains because He's probably up there, and if we can build things that are closer to Him up there, He'll be happier with us down here. Let's build just elaborate buildings that we can go to, and he'll be happy about that because everybody had this like insecurity about how God thought about them, how God felt about them. So all around the world, people were doing all kinds of things, extreme things. People were cutting themselves to get attention from God, like, he surely sees me because I'm bleeding now. He surely's happy with me because I've punished myself. I mean, people just didn't know. They weren't confident what God thought about them, and I think... We're like that today sometimes. We just don't accurately or fully understand what God's thoughts are towards us. So some attempt to figure it out by just do good, do good works, works all the time, just do good, do good, at least do better than send the person to your left or right, and then, God will, then I'll know God will be happy with me. Then he'll think highly of me if I could just make sure I do really, really good. And then sadly, on the other end, people that feel like they're doing really, really bad, they just think, well, God certainly wouldn't want anything to do with me. He certainly wouldn't care to even know me. So God did a lot of things. He sent a lot of people on his behalf to speak what what was on his heart and on his mind. But I don't know if you've ever uh, been in the middle of a project uh, or I'm a a father of two kids where you're like, all right, if the dishwasher is going to get loaded correctly, everybody just out. I'm going to have to do this, all right? If we're, if we're going to plow, uh, plow the snow, I'm just going to have to do it. Have you ever had something going on in your life where you finally arrived at a place, if this thing is going to get done, I'm going to have to just do it. I can't ask someone else to do it on my behalf. So God, in his infinite wisdom, arrived at a place that He was. He knew, he had, this was his plan all along, where he goes, you know what? It's time for me to put a period on sending other people to say what's on my heart and mind. If I want to do this well, if I want to do it fully, I'm going to need to send me. I have to send myself. So God, who is spirit, as it speaks of in the New Testament writings from the first Christians, it says he became incarnate. He put on flesh. And that person is Jesus. God said, I'm sending me. I'm sending me. That is the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is God saying, I'm not going to send Isaiah or Jeremiah or Deborah or Moses or Abraham or anybody else. I'm sending me. So God sends himself through his son, Jesus. And that is the Christmas story. And this is our joy to the world. This is our joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men them songs employ. Let their songs employ. Sing about it. The Savior reigns. And I love this word that's embedded into this Christmas song. That embedded into the Christmas story is Easter. The Savior, not the baby, the Savior You see, the message at Christmas is the message of a sacrificial Savior. That Christmas isn't just the story of a newborn, it's the story of a Savior. That Christmas isn't just the story of a baby lying in a wooden manger, it's the origin story of a Savior who would lie on a wooden cross. That Christmas for Christians isn't just a season for wreaths, it's a season for crowns. Christmas is the yearly reminder that this season was for this reason. There's a lot more of Easter at Christmas than we maybe realize or spend time to reflect upon. But make no mistake about it, Jesus was born to die. You know, we do the Advent, and, and we do the Advent in our house. It looks a little bit different. Our kids get like Socks, and we don't light any candles, but we have the Advent countdown, right? So for us at our house, the countdown is like exciting, and it's like, ooh, this is so cool. The countdown for Christmas Day has begun. But at the first Christmas for Jesus, this was the countdown to his journey to the cross. When he was born on a manger on the first Christmas, the clock started counting down. Christmas was the beginning of Jesus' end, and Jesus' end would unleash an all-new beginning for all those who put their faith and trust in Him. Paul, a follower of of Jesus, uh, wrote this to a young pastor. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, Christ Jesus talking about the first Christmas, came into the world to save sinners. This was the whole point of Christmas, to save sinners. We needed a Savior. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Jesus was born to die, and to save our lives, his life would have to be taken, to be laid down. That Jesus was literally born so that we could become born again, that he would, be, he would be born and then die so we can actually go from death to life. He went from life to death so we could go from death to life, so we could be born again, so we can be given a new heart and a new mind, forgiveness of sins. So what is Jesus's birth have to do with how God views you and views me? And what does Christmas reveal to us about God's thoughts towards us? So a letter written to Christians about 60 years after the story of Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds reveals a lot about what was on God's mind during the first Christmas, and I want to read it to you. It's found in the letter in the New Testament called Hebrews, and here's what it says. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, meaning all the Christians that have gone before us, let us throw off everything that hinders. Have you ever tried to run with God and found there's things that hinder you? There's things just pulling at you, getting in the way? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. I love this. I can relate to this verse. You ever had some sin so easily entangle you? You're like, yes, Jesus, I'm excited. I just got back from youth camp or men's retreat. I'm ready to run after you. And you're like, what's this sin kind of hanging on here? What's this pride? What's this anger? What's this insecurity? What's this fear? What's this worry? What's all this stuff that just keeps hanging around, that just keeps coming back up in our lives? I, I, I can... I can relate to that. So he says, let us run with perseverance. We got to endure through some tough stuff when you run with God. The race marked out for us. I love uh, getting chances to run races here in Utah, and thank God, because I get lost easy, but they clearly mark out the race before you. They let you know exactly where the track is and where you should run. That's what the visual Paul's going with. So then he gives us some advice, and then he share something that's quite revealing that is meant to deeply impact our souls in a very encouraging way. He says in verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Fix our eyes on Jesus, Mean meaning, okay, when you're running with God, you're going to have all these other things you can look at that can hinder you, that can entangle you, that can distract you. Try not to look at that and look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. But we're all going to experience like, you know, you're running you're like, I love God. Oh, she's hot. I love her too. Oh, you know, what do I do? I, you, know, <laughs> you know, can I do both? God, you cool? Whatever it is, right? We can just start looking at other things that can hinder or tangle us up or ensnare us. So he said, just look, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. This is, and this is the revealing part, this is the powerful part. This is so important. For the joy set before him. And then the next words are just startling, I and mean, we can't, we don't even have a, con, a really the ability to fully understand this because we don't. If we see crosses now, they're on top of church buildings, and there's not actual people on them like there were when the, this letter was written. For the joy set before him, before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, that there was a joy set before. Jesus, that helped him endure the pain and humiliation and the shame of his death on a cross. And certainly, much of that joy was found for Jesus in the fact that he was obeying his heavenly Father and doing what his heavenly Father told him to do. But here's the cool part. Here's the mind-blowing part. Here's the part I don't really have the ability to fully comprehend at times is that you were the joy set before him. I was the joy set before him. We were the joy that was set before him that helped him endure the cross. That our face was in his mind when he faced the cross. He was thinking of us. Jesus was thinking of us. When I am hurting and in pain, I think a lot about me. And how do I get rid of this hurt and pain? Here's Jesus enduring the cross, and the joy that was set before him was you, and you weren't even born yet. The joy that was set before him was the whole world. So this verse encourages us to fix your eyes and your faith on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the one who fixed his eyes on you as he carried and laid on that cross. Oh, the wonders of his love and the wonders of his love. The wonders of God's love is that we don't have to wonder about His love. That's one of the greatest wonders of His love. We don't need to wonder about it because He's went to great lengths, heaven to earth. He's went to great distances all the way to the cross to let Adam know, to let you know, to let you know how much He loves you. He wanted to take some of the wonder out of it. Because people, they didn't know. I'm not sure. I mean, think about this with God. No matter what you do today or tomorrow, for the rest of your life, He can never love you more or less. Think about that. Because if you're anything like me, if you're doing good, then His love increases in unison with that. And if you're doing bad, eh. That's how most religious people, Christian or otherwise, view God. You do good, His love, His acceptance increases. You do bad, and your worthiness and His love for you decreases. And and God went to great lengths to just take the wonder out of it. Essentially, Christmas is God saying to the whole world, you never need to wonder what someone thinks about you when they die for you. You just don't need to wonder what someone thinks about you when they die for you, when they do that for you. That should tell you everything you need to know about how they think about you, how they feel about you. Jesus said it this way to a religious leader he was talking to. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God... So love the world, the whole world, (laughs) jacked up and messed up as it is. He loved the whole world so much that he would say, I'm not going to send Isaiah, I'm not going to send Jeremiah, I'm going to send me, I'm going to go, knowing that he would be rejected and crucified. It blows my mind for someone who's always struggled to think very highly of himself that God would think so highly of me, that as he carried that thing, as he laid on that thing, he's thinking of the world. He wasn't thinking of himself. About 41 days after the birth of Jesus, Mary traveled to Jerusalem to the temple with Jesus, as was part of her Jewish tradition, she was there to offer a sin offering at the temple. So she had to wait a certain amount of time, a woman had to wait a certain amount of time after giving birth before she would be called clean again and could enter the main temple to offer a sin offering for herself. So she's there (laughs) with Jesus as a baby going to Jerusalem to make a sin offering. Can you, can you picture in that moment what Mary couldn't possibly know or understand? <laughs> She's going to make an offering. She was poor, so she brought some birds. If you're richer, you could offer a, a bigger animal, but Jesus came from a poor family. So Mary goes, holding baby Jesus while making a sin offering of some birds. Are you seeing what's going on here? <laughs> the sin offering was in the other hand. Mary couldn't have known that. It wasn't the bird. It was her son. And nobody got that at the time. Almost nobody. (laughs) There was one guy that was there that day when Mary showed up. His name was Simeon. And I want to read to you his interaction with Mary. This is found in Luke chapter 2. Simeon took him in his arms. Mary shows up at the temple. He sees Jesus. I don't know how this worked if he asked permission first, but he just grabbed the baby. (laughs) He'd been waiting for this moment. Simeon took him, Jesus, in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign meaning, God, you're in control of everything. As you have promised. He made a promise to Simeon. Simeon's an old man. He's been waiting a long time for this promise to be fulfilled. Just side note, Sometimes you have to wait a while for God's promises to be fulfilled. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He's going, it's kind of a heavy thing to say to Mary. All right, I can die now. He's like, well, let me have my baby back, and then you can die. You know, just hand him over. You "You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation staring at this baby that was born to die. Not too far from the very place they were standing when Simeon said these words. He said, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. This was supposed to be good news for everybody. A light, for rele- revelation to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and the glory of the people in Israel. I love that, that Simeon got that moment, and he got it. We don't always get it. We don't always fully understand what God thinks about us. But Christmas is a reminder, but you don't need to wonder what someone thinks about you when they die for you. So we want to do something really practical. We, want, we wanted to come up with a way where you can be reminded and I can be reminded of what God thinks about you, especially at this season, especially during this time. So uh, on your way out, what we have for you is we have a Christmas ornament. It's one that was uh, purchased so that you could, um, you could paint it, color it, whatever you'd like to do, or just hang it as is on your Christmas tree. Um, we have enough. Uh, for two, for, for every person or family, so feel free to grab one. So, when we dismiss you at the end, and as you're heading out these two doors, you, you will be handed one or two. You can just let them know how many you'd like. But it has a cross on it. Because I think it's important for you and I to remember that there's a lot more Easter at Christmas than we remember or we even take time to reflect upon. The joy that was set before them was you. It was you. It was you. You were the joy that was set before him. I was the joy set before him. I'm not worthy of someone having to go through what he went through. But he obviously saw something in me and something in you that went, yep, you are. For God so loves the world. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. So take this home, decorate it, put it on your tree, and let it remind you of God's love. May it remind you of how God feels about you. Uh, May you remember that the wonders of God's love is we don't have to wonder about his love. And if you're here this morning, or you're here watching online, and you've never before fixed your eyes on Jesus, you've never before said, you know what? What? Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I need forgiveness of sins. I wanna turn to you now because I've looked at a lot of other things, but I wanna look to you now. If you're in person and you're like, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I wanna be, I wanna experience his salvation, I'm gonna be up here after the service. Would you let me pray for you about that? If you're at home, we have a phone number you can call and we have a couple pastors right now that you can speak with. If you need prayer, you need to connect with someone, you, need, you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you just call this number? We have two wonderful pastors that will love on you and pray with you and encourage you and ask, answer any questions that you might have. So I want to close our time in prayer. And if you need prayer, um, even as we, uh, if your row gets dismissed, um, feel free to stay and, uh, and we'll pray for you, okay? So God, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you for the wonders of your love. I thank you that for the joy set before you, you endure the cross. May this ornament, may this morning, may every Christmas be a reminder of what you think about us and what you think about when you are thinking about us. God, we love you. We give you our lives. For those who have yet to follow you, Lord. May you cause their hearts to fall in love with their Creator, their Lord, and their Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.